Hey, so th thanks for bearing with us, bearing with us through that. Uh, a friend of mine likes to say that RUF really stands for Are You Flexible? And exactly, exactly, we are flexible. Thank you for being flexible with us. Hey, so we're doing this series uh, called Relationships Reimagined, and tonight we're looking at uh, the idea of singleness. Last week, we've, or the last couple of weeks, we we're looking at the idea of dating. Those will be up on the podcast soon. Uh, but tonight I want to look at singleness, and I know, because I think whenever you do relationships, especially whenever you get into the dating, and then next week, or in a couple weeks, we're going to do marriage, um, it can get tricky for those of us who are not either in dating relationships or in about-to-be-engaged relationships or married. Uh, where, where's the good news kind of for the rest of us who are trying to figure it out in our singleness? How do we even think about singleness? And I think the way we typically think about singleness is we think about it as this curse to kind of endure instead of this blessing to enjoy. So what I want to do tonight is, is convince you, I hope I can convince you, that all of us, uh, whether we are right now single or not, all of us are going to have seasons of singleness. And how can we move from thinking about it, thinking about singleness as this curse to endure, and can we start th- how can we start thinking about it as a blessing to enjoy? And the passage I want to look at is in your handout. It's from 1 Corinthians 7. And it's Paul, and the context of this is the Corinthians church uh, is, is super messed up, a um, lot of kind of sin within, but there's also a lot of turmoil without. And the context of this passage is Paul is saying to them in the midst of this turmoil, hey, stay as you are. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. It's not sort of um, meant, it's in a specific context, but I think there's something that he says in this passage that has a lot to tell us about singleness. So let's read 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me pray for us, and I want to unpack some of this together tonight. Let's pray first. Uh, Jesus, we, we, you are a God who um, loves to reveal yourself. You uh, do not remain hidden from us. You do not play games with us. Um, Lord, would you um, remind us that that is who you are tonight. That's why you've given us your word. That's why you've given us this letter to the Corinthians. It's for us. It's from you. Would you teach us by it? Uh, Lord, would you especially meet those of us who are struggling with our singleness and what that means for us right now? Um, Would you meet those of us who are lonely in it? Would you meet those of us who are insecure in it? Would you meet those of us who are frustrated and bitter in it? And would you give us the freedom of what it means to be devoted to you, the freedom of 
your devotion to us, your love to us, but also the freedom of living our lives and finding our identity in you. Uh, we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So the way I like the, the so what I'm trying to do is shift you from singleness is this curse to endure to singleness is really is this blessing. Paul, if, the big point from this passage is Paul is saying marriage is a blessing and singleness is a blessing. And culturally, that's not how we think about singleness. We think like our fear is this is why I've always wanted to, to preach this sermon with like 40 cats around me because our fear sometimes is like being the single cat person. Um, that sort of resign where we're just living this crusty, embittered life and, and no one wants us and no one wants to be married to us. And I think uh, the way culturally we think about it, because we've made an idol out of romance, because we've made an idol out of marriage, we don't see singleness as a blessing. Here's how I think we think about it. So for my uh, 17th birthday, I think I had asked my mom for some sort of gaming system. I think at the time the first PlayStation had come out and maybe PlayStation 2 was on its way out. This is a long time ago. So for reference point. But instead, what I got was what my mom thought would be this gift that would serve me for the rest of my life. And it was this really, it was this Navy set of luggage with my initials monogrammed on it. Like, this is still what I take if I go on a road trip. I have, like, this bag. So it did serve me well. I've got this bag with, like, my initials on in it. And it was my gift for my 17th birthday. And I'd like to tell you that I didn't pout and, like, be a little punk on my birthday as a 17 year old uh, but I was I was like pretty pissed about it to be honest and I think when I think about singleness I think about that gift it's like this thing that somebody might want but who of us would want it's like that thing that we kind of think about it like maybe someone has the gift of singleness but does anyone want it and what I want to do tonight is kind of shift your view reimagine from this passage what we think about singleness. And I want to do it, basically I want to look at singleness through three different lenses. First, I want to look at it through the lens or the filter of blessing. Second, I want to look at it through the lens or the filter of uh, calling. And then lastly, I want to look at it through the lens or the filter of kingdom. And I'm going to explain all this as I go. So first, let's think about singleness through the lens of blessing. Again, I already said it. In our culture, because we've made an idol of romance and marriage, we think about singleness not as a a blessing, but as a curse. Uh, We think about marriage as the greatest blessing, and we think about singleness, a lot of us, as this curse. And what Paul is clearly saying is that both are blessings in different ways. Both have, God means good to us in both, uh, in in huge ways. And here's the way that I think um, that he means good for us in singleness. It comes out in in the three different ways. It comes out in the way that we can do time, it comes out in the way we can do gifts, and it comes out in the way that we can do resources. Here's what I mean. Here's what Paul's saying. When you're single, there's this gift that you can, there's this way that you can do time that is this absolute blessing to your friends and the people around you. Um, I used to have a friend that would always say leaders, you know, there are two qualities to every leader, teachability and availability. Part of the blessing of the singleness of the season of singleness is availability. There's more availability that you have to actually be with others and spend significant time with others. This was true for me. Like Before I got uh, engaged and married to Alyssa, uh, I was single living in Sumter. And I got this season with this guy named Clark Bonham, who was a mentor for me growing up. He's actually, Clark is my youngest Sadie's middle name. She's named after him because he was like a spiritual father to me. And when I think back, part of that time that was so formative for me, part of that time that was so huge for me could happen because of my singleness. Because I didn't have any other commitments relationally. So I could spend that time with Clark and really learn a ton from him and have him invest 
in me and just listen to him. And it, it just wouldn't work as well now. So that's one of the, the gaps in my life right now is it's hard for me to make time with a wife and four kids to actually have that sort of time with another older mentor kind of figure. So there's this huge way that your time can be a blessing. But then second, the way you think about gifts and giving and singleness and the season of singleness can be a huge blessing. There's freedom to discover and develop your gifts. Uh, so I think about my wife. So Alyssa uh, has always loved, always had this love relationship with <laughs> photography. But because of our family, because of the kids, she doesn't have time to pursue that. So part of me can't wait. And as the kids are getting into school, she's got a little more time to explore that and, and go for that. But there's a, a se- in the season of singleness, you have time to develop your gifts. This is what John Stott, one of my favorite preachers, who has preached in London in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Here's what he said. He was single his whole life. And here's what he said about it. He said, looking back, with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I have done if I had had the responsibilities of a wife and family. He was a prolific writer and prolific preacher. And part of what he was saying is part of how I get to use and develop those gifts was this, was this blessing of singleness, um, was this season, which for him was a, long, it was a lifetime season of singleness. And then third, resources. Um, I have a friend, one of my best friends like to say, we, we do the budgeting, he's good with money, and he loves to talk about money, and so he'll always say, you know, part of how you do money is you tell your, telling your money where to, where to go instead of asking where your money went. And I think there's a season of singleness where you, can, you actually have the freedom to tell your money where to go. I think about one of my old students who support, has supported me forever. He has his job in Atlanta, and part of how he can support me is he doesn't have a family. And so he gives generously of his resources and money, and it's, it's something that can be unique in the season of singleness. So Paul's big, big point isn't that marriage is better than singleness. Paul's big point is that both of these are good gifts from the hand of God but here's what we do with that. Again, that's not how we typically see it. Uh, there's a former REF intern who now works in a church in Dallas in women's ministry. Her name's Paige Benton Brown. And she's got just this incredible article that if you want it afterwards, I can give it to you because I'm going to quote it you know, a lot tonight. But it's called Singled Out by God for Good. And it's this first one that she has in there. And I love that she gets it the way that we typically think about singleness because we don't think about it as a blessing. Here's how she says it. She said, warped theology is at the heart of attempts to explain singleness. And she gives some that aren't in your handout. She says, as soon as, here's what we typically say. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As as though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. Here's the second one. You're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which he can work. Here's another one. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. Here's another one. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful, as though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily sanctified. And here's what she says. She says, accepting uh, singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers. God has not given to our list of wise but rather, um, here's the key, celebration of the life he has given. I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. 
It is a cosmic, I love this line, it is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. The psalmist confirmed that I should not want, I shall not want, because no good thing will, will God withhold from me. Part of the way I like to think about it is we talk sometimes about missing out on God's best. And here's the reality for us in Christ. It's because he's given us Jesus, we already have his best. You can't miss out on his best. He's already given you his best and his son. And that means what he's doing in your life right now, he knows what he's doing, and it is his best for you right now. So here's the first question for you. Is do, you see, do you see, for those of you who are single, do you see your singleness as a gift to enjoy? Do you see your singleness as God loving you well right now? Here's the second thing. So first, the lens of blessing. But second, let's look at through the lens of calling, because this is where the question comes, how do I know I have the gift of singleness? How do I know that I'm called to it long-term? And I think this is one of those tricky conversations, because calling is one of those things that we talk about sometimes in our circles, but what do we mean by calling? And here's what's interesting, is Paul probably, in the back of his mind as he's writing this to the Corinthians, has Jesus' own words in Matthew 19, specifically verses 11 and 12, where Jesus starts talking about eunuchs. He starts talking about those who are indefinitely called to singleness, and he kind of gives these three different categories that I think are helpful for us as we think about being called to singleness that are a helpful grid for us to think through. Here's the first. The first thing that Jesus says is that there are those who are born that way. What he means is there are sometimes inherent conditions. Um, I have friends who part of those inherent conditions, and we could talk a long time about this, is an ongoing, I think, as far as they can tell in the Lord's providence, not changing same-sex orientation. And so for them, they would say, I think the Lord has called me to a lifetime of celibacy and singleness. There are other examples where sometimes there can be like an inherent condition of a physical defect that prevents us from being married happily or doing marriage happily. Some of us are born that way, Jesus says, but then some of us, Jesus says, are made that way. Now, in ancient times, he's obviously talking about castration, which is not really a thing, thankfully, in our day. But there are sometimes these ongoing inherent circumstances, such as maybe caring for elderly parents could be one, that prohibit or keep us in a season or in a calling of singleness. And here's the third one, is you choose that way. That basically, not out of a sense of selfishness, not out of a sense of fear, because I get that for some of us, marriage seems like the worst, because we've seen our parents' marriages and we don't want that but out of a sense of wanting to give our lives for the kingdom. I have a friend, this is true of her, she's, she's totally open to marriage, but she is going, she's been, and she's going back to Cambodia, and she believes that God has kind of given her this gift of singleness so that she can go serve these girls in, in Cambodia. And if you could meet her, I wish she were here, because you wouldn't, she w- doesn't do the self-righteous where she like announces, hey, I'm single, God has given me the gift of singleness. Like, that's not what she does. She, if a guy asks her out, she has a rule. Any guy that asks her out who's a Christian, he loves Jesus, and like asks her out, she'll go with him. One day for anybody. She's totally open to marriage. But she thinks, as far as she can reason God's providence, that she's called to singleness. But here's the thing. is She's cool with that. She, she, she wants that. And I think this is where, like, if you don't want that, you're probably not called to singleness, right? Like, this is kind of how calling works. This is like, I think we have this view of God sometimes where he, like, loves to do the opposite of what we want him to do. And we think if we can just convince him that we don't want something, then he's going to give it to us. And can we just say, like, that's just not Christianity? Like, it's something, but it's not Christianity. It might be anxiety. It probably is your anxiety. We talk about medicine and counseling. Talk to me. 
I have lots of references. But it's not Christianity, at this, which at the center is the cross that says, God is for you. He loves you. He does not love to screw you over. He loves to bless you. Yes, sometimes that blessing involves suffering. Absolutely. We're not like fake, happy. That's not Christianity either. But he doesn't love to do the opposite of what we want. The way that I think about it is, I've said this before, if you've been in area for a, long, for a while, but part of me was, trying to, was wrestling with calling, being called to ministry. And at the time, when I became a Christian, I thought about ministry, went to college, didn't think about ministry, graduated from college, got into ministry, but then that got blocked, and I started working in landscaping. I was engaged at the time and just needed a job. I just needed a job. So I was probably, <laughs> landscaping, as you might imagine, was not my forte. If you know me very well, I'm okay to admit, like, I actually loved the tangibleness of it, but I wasn't, like, naturally good at it. But I thought for a season, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And so I went to my boss and said, hey, uh, Mr. Smoke, would you ever consider me to run a crew? And I like to imagine he held back laughter and just very graciously said, Sammy, you are a hard worker. We love you, but I don't think this is what God has for you. And part of how I think about it was, how did I know I wasn't called to landscaping? I kind of I didn't want to do it. How did I know I was called to ministry? I kind of did want to do it. And I know it's not always as simple as that, but can we say that's just part of how calling works? Is God doesn't work against our interior desires. Of course, it's good for us to take those desires to people, and they can like talk to us about it, and it's good to do that with our dating and singleness. You know, talk to me about, should I date this person? Talk to me about, should I break up with this person? Talk to me, like we need to invite people into it. But God doesn't love to curse us. Um, this is where I love, you know, when I've been in hard seasons of life, I really love Psalm 138.8, where David says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord is for you, and the Lord will fulfill his purpose for you. And there's incredible rest in that. Um, and can we just say, too, that when it comes to calling, sometimes we don't know. Like, sometimes, you know, this old Puritan used to like to say that providence what God is doing in your life is like Hebrew, is best read backwards. I don't know if you know anything about Hebrew, but you read it right when we studied in seminary. It really freaked you out because you actually read right to left. So you, like, turn the page, and it's, like, really unnatural. And that's how God's providence works. We, we don't, oh, can we just be honest? Like, some of you need to be real honest and say you don't know what Jesus wants for you. And that's okay. Let's seek him. Let's seek friends. But you don't, like, pretend like you have the direct line. So calling. But then third, last thing I want you to see, is I'm going to see the lens of kingdom. Um, here's what we do know his purpose for us is. Here's what we do know, is that he wants us to seek the kingdom. This is Paul's point in First, in first Corinthians. He's saying to the people, seek the kingdom. If you're married, seek the kingdom in your marriage. If you're single, seek the kingdom in your singleness. And he says, here's what's hard about seeking the kingdom in marriage. Here's what's great about seeing the kingdom and singleness. Don't forget that. This is one of the blessings of singleness, is there are some things that are easier in terms of time, gifts, resources, to seek the kingdom. Absolutely. That aren't, therefore, let married people off the hook, but are easier in singleness. But the whole point is the kingdom. The whole point, here's another way to say it, is that married and single are never anything more, hear me well, are never anything more than adjectives. You're a married Christian, or you're a single Christian. But either way, you've already got God's best in being a Christian. You've got Jesus. And again, if marriage is this picture of God's love, 
than singleness, we would say that. Marriage is two people who should, I can tell you as 13 years married, marriage is two people who should give up, give up on each other, not giving up on each other because Jesus has not given up on them. That's marriage. But part of what singleness is a picture of is singleness is a picture of the kingdom. Singleness is this picture of serving and being wholeheartedly <laughs> devoted to God and God alone, to Jesus and Jesus alone, and this way of saying, I don't need anyone, ultimately, other than Jesus, that Jesus is enough for me. I'm not enough. Marriage isn't enough. Friendship isn't enough. But Jesus is enough. And that's Paul's concern, is seeking the kingdom in our singleness. Um, and here's, here's where... Again, we do the idolatry. This is Paul's, one of the, like, Paul's trying to bring us down to what marriage is to. And Paul is trying to crush. Listen, part of what has to happen in our group, part of what has to happen in me and in you, is to crush, to, to glorify the goodness of marriage. Absolutely. Marriage is a beautiful and wonderful thing by God's design. But we've got to crush the idolatry of it that says it's the end-all, be-all. And Jesus does that. There's another place Jesus does it that Paul certainly has in mind in Matthew 22, where Jesus says the Pharisees come to him thinking they're going to stump him, and they say, okay, here's a guy who's been married three times. Who's his wife going to be in heaven? And I love when the Pharisees think they've got, got Jesus in the ribs, and then Jesus just does what Jesus does and just punches, you know, doesn't punch them, but maybe he does punch them. I don't know. Sometimes we effeminize, effeminize Jesus. Let's keep going. So Jesus says, listen, there is essentially, if we take this passage literally, there's no marriage in heaven. We're like the angels. Why? Because the point of marriage, which is to picture Jesus to each other, has been fulfilled. Because we're now with the one that marriage was all about. For some of us, that crushes you. And that's good. I want it to crush you. Because you've, missed, you've put your hope in marriage, or you've put your hope in another person that is meant to be put in Jesus... And that's what Jesus says, listen, the way I like to think about it is heaven is going to be like, do you remember Christian Mingle? Without the mingle part, maybe, and without all the awkward side hugs, but just with the singleness, where we are content that we have this thing that marriage is all about in Jesus. The other way I like to think about it is uh, we love, or if you've been around here for long, you know that we kind of love, or we kind of love Lord of the Rings. And sometimes I get embarrassed about using an illustration because it seems so overdone. But I still love this. How can you not love the scene, the conversation at the end with Gandalf and Sam? It's the one we quote all the time where Sam asks the question as, like, everything's kind of come to this crescendo. And he says, Gandalf, you know, will all the sad things come untrue? And it's a beautiful line. We think about part of what heaven is is all the sad things will come untrue which is a beautiful hope. But here's what sometimes I think we miss, but also what's true is that all the good things will be fulfilled. All the good things about marriage and all the good things about singleness will be fulfilled as we're with Jesus face to face. I'm going to close with this section from Paige Brown, who I think nails it. And I just want to close with this. Listen to the way she says it. She says it better than I can. She says, Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was on that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. 
God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his person. It's not an attitude, but an attribute. And here's what she gets for honor. She says, I long to be married. She is married now, actually, um, which might be helpful or might not be helpful. I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, which sounds amazing, and all new corning wear. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. God can no more live in me apart from the perfect fullness of his goodness and grace than I can live in Nashville and not be white. If he fluctuated one quark in his goodness, he would cease to be God. Let's pray. Jesus, would you meet us where we are? Would you meet us in our um, fear? Would you meet us in our anxiety? Would you meet us um, in our questions? Would you meet us in our loneliness? Um, Would you be enough for us tonight uh, that we might um, find our joy in our identity in you? We pray these things with Christ in your name. Amen.